0: I want them to have a blast in every digital environment. I want them to be so excited about what's to come.
1: Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. We are recording on the 16th of January, Monday, the 16th of January, the third January of the year, which, according to one travel company's incredibly good marketing campaign, is Blue Monday
2: apparently so
1: most depressing day of, of the I've year
2: actually, yeah i've actually had a really good day to be honest oh good um yeah i don't know if that's just me but i personally have had a great day so all this blue monday stuff nonsense
1: i mean the thing is right it started off as a what as a marketing gimmick for a travel company to get people to book holidays and now it's become this thing where it's like <gasps> blue monday look after your mental health folks and it's like yeah, that's good every day of the year not just the third monday of the year yeah um, that's a very good point <laughs> Um we did put out an article though um on on Tech Talks uh we we thought we'd flip it and go right we'll find reasons for you to be to be positive and and focused on four companies that we think are going to be big this year so we picked out four companies we've we've spoken to recently uh so high low dream factory yo messaging and um okra bio so a shout out for those four um here's that that's my tip for 2023 i reckon they're gonna have a big year we'll see by the end of the year if i've been right
2: well no pressure dave
1: well there you go. i've not defined what big means so i've given myself oh, plenty yeah, that's of leeway true,
2: actually. there you go you're not holding yourself to anything so no, any no. any kind of shift in that company or those companies been a big year go. yeah big exactly year. there we go We're no seriously they they like dream
1: factory um graham hussey Uh, opening up a a studio in New York in Brooklyn. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Hilo Athletics, new shoe on the market. Very exciting, the Hilo run. Um, Okra Bio, $30 million um, worth of funding raised in October to uh, really kind of push on with their RNA treatment remedies. And uh, Yo Messaging, uh, Computing's security application security company of the year 2022 and on the Tech 100 startups list. So
2: those all sound pretty big things to me to be honest, Dave. So that's yeah. Very That's good. the starting starting point. No, say, oh, yeah, it can only get bigger from here.
1: <laughs> um, but today's interview is uh, with Californian based business gum gum talking about advertising, we're talking about AI, we're talking about context in advertising. And then a little bit later on the show, there's going to be a chat around sustainability. But first of all, I'll hand over to Phil Schrader from GumGum, and we'll be back shortly. So I'm joined by Phil Schrader, uh, CEO of GumGum. You're joining me from Palm Springs. So not only on the other side of the pond, but on the other side of the States. Early morning (laughs) for you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
0: So excited to be here, David. Thank you so much. I really am looking forward to the chat today.
1: I can only assume it's a lot warmer and a lot, a lot brighter there than it is just outside London in, in early December. So I'm mildly jealous, but uh, <laughs> look, it's lovely to talk to you. Uh, before we get into anything else, um, CEO of GumGum, Gum, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and and who GumGum Gum are?
0: Sure. So me, just a little background on me. Um, I am from, you know, a small town outside of Chicago, Illinois in the U.S. Um, grew up there, bolted to LA uh, right after university to really kind of figure myself out, find out you know more about me of my own coming of age, right? And with that move, I I really wanted to uh, tap into the uh, tech industry and really understand how my education, everything about me, the uniqueness of me, could really make a difference there. And so my background being in finance, accounting, and that area, and then propelling that into kind of emerging startup environments with some companies, and now at GumGum, when I joined 11 years ago, my anniversary was just the other day, um, as employee number 10. And, you know, so from that time, it was so exciting, because I saw GumGum as such a pioneer in their vision and strategy around how technology and AI technology can really transform the entire digital ecosystem. And so now you fast forward where we are today. I became CEO three years ago and GumGum is really leading the pack in trying to help the industry and the digital industry move from these ID-based solutions in which we've become so addicted to, right? Knowing about us, using us to this mindset first approach and really creating moments that don't use my personal information and do that. And we've seen a lot of success, David. So we are now uh, 550 people. We are in almost 19 countries across the globe. We work with pretty much all of the Fortune 1000 advertisers, and we reach 1.1 billion people a month. And so we've been able to really build a scaled business that is really exciting um, in the sense that advertising in the ecosystem is ready and now wanting to move forward in that direction, um, either by choice, as, as we, we know, or by governmental regulations on just the government coming in and starting to protect privacy. Um, and and forcing companies like ours and other tech big companies to put that first, uh, privacy-first solutions.
1: Just out of interest, you joined, as you said, nearly 11 years ago. Yeah. Employee 10. Uh, Yeah. A very different environment where advertising was concerned. If I think back 11 years, I could imagine... Whereas now you, I, I kind of hear what you're saying and it feels like it's a finger on the pulse of the industry, maybe it wouldn't have felt like that 11 years ago or, or even nine or eight years ago.
0: That's exactly right. And so where GumGum has evolved and where we really stand out over this course of these 11 years is back then we really partnered with advertisers to really build unique, rich, amazing creatives across our global scale. And so we did that by creating all these really great amazing ad formats that we support all with advertisers today and we pioneered some of the first the ad first ad placement with in images and out of the gate we focused on saying to ourselves there's so much data here around imagery on a web page and and how do we start to understand that and create an opportunity for the advertisers to get the attention, stand out and capitalize on the shift of textual learning and and showcasing to visual. And so as we've evolved, what we've seen is that not only is it great creatives that are gonna be key to the success, which we still fundamentally believe and deliver to our partners, but it was a realization that understanding deeply what's happening on a web page, desktop, and in mobile devices within video, within that content, Is really an incredible opportunity to create a more memorable more specific moment for the advertiser and so you've watched things move from measuring is it viewable right which we still do today is that ad viewable to wait a second now people are walking away from their devices I'm in three different things just because it's there doesn't mean it's being seen and so now you have the likeness of attention coming and other ways that we're trying to say hey wait a second How did I reach you as the target consumer? Did I use the environment successfully? Did I create an amazing creative that stood out and ultimately won the attention game? And so at GumGum, our proprietary tech on Contextual is what we believe the best in the world. It's the only U.S. accredited tech from a content level understanding of digital um, when it comes to things like using the images the audio and the text in combination to create what that content is about. Combining that with like awesome toolbox and set of creatives to help an advertiser with one thing in mind, attention. And building and having now what we believe is one of the best attention AI technologies. So combined, an advertiser can come to Gum and understand a digital environment we can give them great creatives on what works in that environment to stand out and that aligns. And we can focus on what really matters, which is gaining the attention of your consumer.
1: As I say, everything there rings rings true. And we're aware of the movement against kind of that slight creeping into our private lives, how privacy is being infringed. People are, are, are far more aware now of their of their digital self, I suppose. Um, And mindset-first advertising, contextual advertising, using the moment and creating value that grabs attention. Yeah, sounds great. In reality, that must be a lot harder, at least with someone's ID. There's quite specific parameters that you can kind of define and know, and I can see that it's kind of perhaps easier than this because you said they're walking across different devices and so on you're talking about creating the environment but the environment is so much more interchangeable now so much more fragmented so much harder for you to define so what what does this look like what give us one or two examples of where this really hits home and makes a difference with with the consumer
0: sure so let's think about even from a decade ago we would go onto a digital environment, say a web page, and you would be looking at search through Google, right? You'd be looking at things that were based on keywords that were in content. That's how we search today. That's how we searched back then, right? We continued to search off of just a keyword. And because that was where we were seeing so much involvement and connection from a consumer, we built technologies off of that view, keywords. So in practice, how this works is you now extend that and say keywords aren't enough. We see that right now. And what I mean is consumers are now looking at search recommendations from, say, a TikTok and moving away from searching with a keyword. And so they're looking for visual ways to connect and understand how they're going to find information and where they're giving their attention. So a perfect example would be, let's talk about where CTV, right, is an emerging space. And as that emerges, what do we have to use to understand what's happening in that CTV video? All we have right now in the industry is technology that uses the description and the heading. But within that video now, GumGum can process that, find the right frames, And then create an ad moment that allows you to one, not be disrupted, continue on your journey and capture that moment. So instead of this antiquated, I've done, uh, I have content around, let's say a war, which maybe an advertiser reads about that and they block it. Well, we all know there are happy moments in storytelling. And so maybe there's a reunion at the end, a family coming together. The fact that now GumGum and technology has advanced contextually to capture that moment and provide that as now a new opportunity for creative to be served with a unique ad that finds the right place to not be disruptive and then ultimately inspire and connect is quite incredible. And because the industry saw keywords and personal data through the use of that, as just available and now and go that's where all the investment went so context isn't new it was just put in the background actor versus the star and now what's realizing is that context coming into play and looking at that signal from all of it at that frame in that moment is the more powerful sustainable solution we believe if that's helpful context of how you could imagine playing itself no
1: absolutely i suppose the follow-up question there is, is you talk about frame by frame and capturing the moment um i suppose that's the way that you measure or attention measurement it would be really interesting to know how that works and what the technologies are that actually underpin that
0: that's right so so think about this when we look at a moment, let's say we're on, you know, in that frame, or or we're in a, um, let's just use a simpler example, a web page, and you know you're looking at recipe content, and I'm looking at a recipe, David, and I at Gumgum have tons of Fortune 1000 advertisers that have creative that match and want to be around that content, right? But when you break it down very detailed into what that recipe content is at a deeper level and you start to serve an ad into that page, and you can now, through eye-tracking data technology, know that, hey, that ad, even though it matched, was only getting one second of attention, right? Then when you serve another ad that's still relevant but in a different way, you're like, huh. That got three seconds. What happens is the system learns so that now we won't serve the first ad for one second. We know that the different contextual marriage between what that creative stands for and the messaging and the sentiment versus that contextual piece of content on that recipe, we now know as a technology solution to serve the ad that's going to maximize that attention. And that works for the entirety of everyone involved. Meaning, as a consumer, if it got more attention, then that means it's hitting me more. It means I'm engaging more. I'm seeing it. I'm understanding it. I'm taking action within it. And so we want to provide that consumer more value. And we also want the advertiser to know that we're being efficient and we're working towards being able to provide that correct ad that maximizes it. So it becomes this really exciting opportunity to say, yes. Recipes matches with this brand. But within that, there's so much deeper tone and sentiment and understanding to find the right way to match that. And I think that is where you're seeing a lot of movement happen in the industry talking about attention measurement as really the new proxy and getting back to those basics. But that's how it can fundamentally work so that the system is smarter to serve you the ad based on AI that's getting the most attention So that it's the most valuable to you and it's the most efficient for the advertiser
1: you talk there about layers and you you talk about the depth of what can be provided suppose for advertisers that must be a bit of a minefield it kind of with with ai you know if we think about ai more broadly across the industry as a whole that idea that if you ask the wrong question you get the wrong answers it leads you down the wrong path to the wrong solution yes Is is there a similar problem with authenticity that a brand will want to have its own voice, but it could be getting pulled in a number of different directions? How do you make sure that you retain that focus and retain that authenticity while still using that technology in in a socially responsible
0: way? Right. So I think the important thing is understanding really still at the end of the day, who are they trying to reach as an audience? And what context can do and what technologies can do if they're done right and they're with social responsibility is make the recommendations around various pieces of context that would work with various types of creatives and sentiment to maximize what their outcome will be. So through what I just mentioned, we over 11 years have been understanding how creatives can work with context and making those recommendations. it becomes somewhat of being able to guide the advertiser out of the gate with a predictive methodology so that then by the time we get to what I spoke about just earlier, we've already really guided them along that way. And I think what happens with contextual specifically right now and why, when you mention social responsibility, it's so important is we all know today and the future is all around authenticity, people being real, and that extends into digital. And all of content creators right now want to be able to create in their own voice, and they should be able to do that. And so now, when you look at that, and I'm trying to understand digital environments at scale, and David, you might write very differently than me. One of the examples, I think we were just talking earlier, is an openly gay man when I'm talking to my friends and I say something like, oh my God, you slayed that right you know i want to be able to write like that i want to be able to create content like that i want to have videos like that and i want to make sure that the the technologies that are going to be the ones to spit out a segment around what my topic is isn't saying unidentified it's actually still classifying how i speak and that then becomes great insight for an advertiser to then help them be more authentic and connect and do a little bit more work to show they understand the content based on not me as a person, but the content to create that message. And I think that is what is really exciting about where we're headed. And I think the governmental pushes globally on the privacy first has really accelerated now context moving to the forefront and getting more of this exciting adoption and innovation happening, which is awesome.
1: Just just picking up on your comment about the fact that this isn't about the individual, it's about the overall context, and then picking up on the fact that you mentioned about your sexuality, actually does, moving away from IDs and moving towards this contextual approach, does it actually allow for us to look at a person as a proper individual through intersectionality, through the fact that we don't just sit into one box, that different layers might apply to different people in different circumstances, and actually be a far more representative way of reaching out and engaging with people?
0: I think you nailed that because I know if you talk to anyone from GumGum 10 years ago to where I am now, maybe how I identify is changing over time. Maybe what I was in a year ago is no longer an interest of mine. Maybe I'm just evolving as an individual. And so as I consume content, I want the content to feel it's constantly with me along my journey. The advertising is constantly with me along for my journey without feeling like it's tapping into me and tapping into that. You know, some of the examples that when we really think about social responsibility, when we look at IDs, David, you know, you know, I have a family member very close to me that really struggled to get pregnant and had really unfortunate miscarriages and things like that and happened to be in the cohort with her friends that were having babies. So she was going to baby showers. But then she's being followed for weeks and weeks and weeks around, is she a new mom, buy this gift, buy this gift, when she doesn't want to be in that mindset, David, right? She's moved on and let her dictate when she's in a digital environment, what's happening. Say, that's what I need you to think about. Respect what I'm doing and then advertise to me with value because we think we're just so smart, hey, buy that bench and follow you around and use this ID that we learned and followed you. Hey, you were at a party in New York having a great time. You get up in the morning, you're hung over. Do you really want to see an alcohol ad? No, you're ready to go to a fitness class. So it's following me as I evolve as an individual. And mindset is a great way for an advertiser to build that respect, that authenticity, and build, I think, the way in which future brand loyalty comes back. Because the, the generations, you'll see many generational studies, Right? They are focused, these newer generations are focused on, they want it to be fun, they want it to be authentic, and they want you to give them what they want when they want it without any ID, information, right? And so if that's what they're looking for, that's how you're going to connect and build real brand loyalty and sustain that loyalty over their own evolution as they change as a consumer.
1: It's very clear that Gum Gum have evolved over the period of time that you've been there. Uh, yes,
0: yes. What happens My hair next is actually Gum-Gum? longer. Look at a picture <laughs> 11 years ago. My hair is actually longer. My hair is really long. I was like, when did that happen? So you just evolved, right? Um, go ahead. Sorry, so what, just, what happens
1: next for Gum? How does that evolution continue? What are you looking forward to?
0: Yeah, we're really looking forward to just making sure that the industry is aware of kind of how there are current existing solutions like Gum Gums that are at the forefront of this innovation. And we want to partner. We know that understanding information around a person is great. Like to me, if I was a brand and I had first party data where David, you gave me permission, right? That is the holy grail for me. But for me, that is really the cherry on top of the Sunday that's made up of three key scoops. Contextual understanding at a deep level of the digital environment with tons of creatives to then help maximize that impact and value with one thing in mind, attention. And that foundation of that Sunday can stick and is future-proof as we move into this next digital transformation that we're all facing. And then when you have that first-party data, when you've gotten that acceptance and you've gotten your audience or your target consumer you know, ready to like let you in and who they are, that's a great cherry on top to really close it out. So we're not saying there's not a space for audience or ID information for people. It's just make sure it's clear. Make sure those choices are mine to make and make sure you're using it with respect. And if you don't have that data, you can be very successful with an advertisement to me just by that foundation because that Sunday is really still great even though it doesn't have the cherry on top of it. And how do we start to build that across Web, mobile, desktop, gaming, CTV, personal home gym equipment, personal appliances, just the mindset, right? I mean, I don't know about you in LA, like I, my partner, he's vegan one month and then now he's gluten-free and then not, right? So so in LA, like you're having these things that are changing so rapidly. So how do you stay in those even subtle ways? And, and a great CPG brand who kind of is ready to commit to that is going to be along for the journey and make sure they see as they evolve that I can bring that value just based on where they're choosing to spend their time in a digital environment, how they're consuming that content, and understanding what's happening. Right, reading a web page is very different than playing a game, and finding that balance and that context with right creative to gain attention along my mindset journey is, I think, the critical piece to any advertiser's, you know, sustainable success.
1: One final question, then, that's a little bit more. Uh, personal and yeah. less about gum gum. Um, you joined when you were employee 10, you've mentioned over 500, 550 employees now. Yeah. What one principle would you suggest to an entrepreneur, to a business leader who's at the beginning of that growth story that might just help them along the way?
0: Yeah, is make sure you're listening and make sure you're putting every solution that you are working towards if you're in media and putting yourself as the consumer, putting your family and your loved ones as the consumer. So for me, what environment do I want for my nephews that are 10 and 12? I want them to have a blast in every digital environment. I want them to be so excited about what's to come. And I look hope I'm fortunate enough to be old enough to look back and watch all of the incredible things they're doing that I couldn't even have dreamed. But I want it to be safe. I want them to feel they can explore I want them to change and evolve and I don't want them feeling like they're being tracked, followed, used, manipulated. And I think this is where if you're in media, you sit back and ask yourself, what legacy as a company are you trying to make for your own loved ones? And if you do that and you listen and you challenge yourself and you pay attention to those generational needs, your team's needs, internal needs, then I think you're set up for success because that's ultimately where your passion will reign true and you should win because it's fundamentally at the core what you want to see for the people you care about most. And that would be my biggest piece of advice. I want my nephews to see that I'm fighting for my authenticity. I want my nephews to know I am not afraid to be me and I am demanding the industry respect that and allow me to evolve and change and to feel safe so that I can go back into these environments with just such open-minded freedom and excitement versus fear and concern. It's
1: been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much for giving up some time.
0: This was great, David. Thank you so much. And we're really excited about this. And congratulations on all your success on all your, uh, and continued success. It's, it's incredible. So thank you again. I really you. appreciate it.
1: Tell you what, Amber, there is one thing that I can promise you today, looking out the window, and that's that I was in Palm Springs.
2: Yeah, I know. I was very jealous <laughs> from the offset. As soon as I said, Palm Springs, I was like, "Ah, oh, my view out my window does not look like Palm Springs. <laughs> yeah. Not even close, to be honest. But um, yeah, oh, very jealous. Very, very jealous. I can imagine that's beautiful
1: yeah and look this is this is one of those things where we know advertising is big but we also know that advertising is being clamped down on because you know privacy is is understandably um something that we need to pay attention to especially the way that the organizations advertise to younger and more vulnerable people perhaps online Mm -hmm. but i think phil makes a really good point that privacy is is pushing innovation and adoption in advertising he talks about the fact that you know We build tech off keyword searches. Keyword searches were what kind of um, fueled advertising. But consumers are now looking at TikTok and its visual ways of searching. And and I thought that was a really good point. And look, he joined Gum Gum 11 years ago, employee number 10. Now they're 550 people, 19 companies, 1.1 billion people a month reached. Just goes to show that visual and contextual advertising really obviously has some traction.
2: Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think we've spoke about this before on the pod actually, just like the impact of TikTok, because like you said, for him being there for, you know, going back quite a few years now, I'm sure there's been massive, massive shifts in that industry. Um, and yeah, I mean, TikTok's a massive player now, isn't it? To be honest, like loads of people use that as a an advertising tool. And obviously, loads of celebrities kind of jump onto it as well and influencers and that in itself is kind of promoting and like pushing different products. So yeah, I think you always have to be kind of mindful of the content that you're putting out um, and he makes a really good point about like authenticity as well which I really liked mm. um, and so it's sort of strange true to you and your message and and making sure what you put out there kind of like correlates with that but yeah you're right I guess like security is a big thing and obviously just making sure that um, you know you're sort of mindful of the audience it's going out to sort of younger people more vulnerable people um, but it's still being like engaging and relatable yeah. content so you're not sort of completely stripping it back so it's not you know it's nothing do you know
1: what I mean yeah and I think his his, um his example of of someone who's close to him who had suffered a miscarriage and struggled to get pregnant and and Mm. was surrounded by people having babies going to baby showers or whatever else you know if you're thinking about keyword searches or kind of that proximity to certain words if that was then going to be bringing up in her feed things about baby clothes or whatever else Mm. that that's not showing compassion it's not being aware of your audience it's not showing authenticity and actually that that understanding and that move away from something quite so 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 basic to visual ways of searching is is really is really explained by that example he also talks about you know being hung over after a party Do you want an advert for a drink absolutely not <laughs> I suppose it's what we've talked about on this as well. Like you buy a pair of trainers and you go online and you you just see lots more images for lots of trainers. And it's like, well, I don't need trainers. I've just bought trainers. It just feels so dumb sometimes the way that advertising is served to us online.
2: Mm, Yeah, definitely. And it always feels a bit like, I don't know, a bit forced. Like you said, like if you buy a pair of trainers and there's suddenly like six pairs of trainers suddenly in your face, you're like, oh, it's a bit overkill, isn't it? Whereas, um, Yeah. yeah, I don't know. You just, yeah, you don't want to sort of overdo it because- to me that would almost like put me off just completely the, the the products that are there because it is just too in your face. But um, yeah, I mean, I can see what you say about the example you said about um, obviously the lady who had, uh, unfortunately had the miscarriage and, and sort of the keywords there. I think when some of that content is quite, it, it's going to be triggering, isn't it? Obviously in that situation, mm. especially. Um, yeah. You, you do just want to make sure that, you know, you're sort of trying to be kind of true to the the brand, but then also, you know, like I said, just just be mindful. I think that's kind of the main thing. Just just really sort of knowing your audience, and um, yeah, and just sort of making sure. Obviously, it's sort of going out to the right people, and and you're sort of getting the response rate that you sort of want from it as well. Um, that you're not annoying people or upsetting people, but people are actually sort of genuinely interested in the content, and then obviously go on to to kind of buy the products.
1: And it's interesting that he he cites TikTok right because I I when I recorded this it was December. We're talking December twenty twenty two. We're talking we're talking about six weeks ago, right? No time at all. And I wouldn't have thought as TikTok as being a marketplace. I would have thought of TikTok as being this place where it's trends and it's mm. it kind of informs what's going on in popular culture. It's music. Like, yeah, there's advertising in that regard, but you know, it's music, it's 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 that kind of stuff. And yeah, I then went to the cinema in the run up to Christmas to see Avatar, which is appalling
2: um oh, i thought you were gonna say amazing oh wow no, no, okay
1: no one of the worst cinema experiences ever just so oh. so bad
2: oh my god um, i was not expecting that wow okay no, conversation god. for another time i was not expecting that <laughs>
1: yes anyway um but before the film it had an advert for tiktok which i've since seen on the television where it's a daughter and a father moving into a new apartment and you <laughs> assume it's the daughter who's moving in but by the end of the advert you realize it's the daughter helping the dad move into the apartment but all the way through they're like how do we hang up this picture how do we make a meal how do we fix this how do we do that and they're using tiktok as the as the resource for all of that knowledge the whole way through and it's like i I wouldn't have ever thought of using tiktok in that sense but if it is that kind of a, a resource you can totally understand why consumers are now looking to tiktok or why advertisers are now thinking about the key frames or the right frames that create a moment that create a genuine moment of engagement
2: mm, such a good point because i'm the exact same as you when i first downloaded tiktok i don't have it now but when i first had it like during the pandemic it was just like a fun you know these little gimmicks and these little like short snippets of video and i didn't really look beyond that i was like oh this is just fun funny content Do you know what i mean but um I think now you're right, like companies have jumped onto this trend and I'm the exact same. I got an advert. I think it was when I was um, listening to Spotify the other day. There was something pop up and it was about recipes. And I thought it was going to be, I don't know, Jamie Oliver's cookbook coming out or something along those lines. But it was actually, oh, TikTok. And you can get all these recipes and all this amazing, um, all these amazing ideas for for different um, recipes from TikTok. And you can just see why companies have sort of jumped on board with it because like I say it, it started out so much fun and, and you think as well actually the impact that it's had with the charts like every yeah i don't know top five or top ten m- majority of the time it's come from like a tiktok trend or a tiktok dance and then that that album or that that record is just absolutely like shot up to the like i said the the top sort of ten because well
1: probably probably the the, the biggest example of that is sam Ryder.
2: Mm, yeah yeah that's a good point actually you know, yeah definitely he scored,
1: scored a scored a uk number one with his debut album release um obviously everyone is aware of um of eurovision but mm. he he was discovered during the pandemic on tiktok doing covers yeah it's
2: madness it's i think it's just become it's so so big now like i think if if companies were like obviously like Gum bomb, gum gum were to ignore it and not use it they'd almost be at a bit of a disadvantage because they're missing out on a whole audience there that other people are just easily tapping into through TikTok.
1: But as Phil says, it's understanding when in that journey to put an advert in that creates the engagement that feels authentic and isn't Mm. just
2: an annoying pop-up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I guess that's the hard part. That's what... That's the part that me and you haven't that's, are not qualified for. <laughs> that's why
1: they've gone from ten employees to five fifty and
2: it, well, exactly. They know we're talking stuff, about clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly that. But I, I guess it's a fine balance, isn't it? Like we were saying before, yeah. like not annoying people, not being too pushy or a, a bit over top, but it's um yeah, just finding the right time that it almost like drops a bit of a nugget in your, your head and you're like, Oh great, okay, well this sounds great. I'm gonna go and buy that T shirt or those trainers, whatever it is. <laughs>
1: Look, we'll, we'll draw an end to part one. We'll be back with part two in just a moment. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, welcome back to the show. Um, part two. We are going to be playing an interview uh, with Nicole Famaric, who is the CMO and co-founder of the Good Goal. She talks about the fact that there's a lot of investment going on in sustainability at the minute, but it's difficult to know where that investment goes because mm. um, there's a there's a there's a slight kind of not disconnect, but <clears throat> working out what we're asking for from sustainability businesses. You have to filter because do you want to do you want to invest in a company that has traction that is traction orientated or real impact measurements? And it's really hard to measure the impact of sustainability right now, especially in B2C. And you can understand why a B2B business is actually where the where the money is going to be going. So beyond that, I mean it's quite difficult to know which of these companies is having a real impact.
2: Mm. Yeah, this oh my goodness, this brings me on to a really good point, Dave, because I was watching a documentary the other day about um about Sheehan, right? And obviously they're like fast fashion and it was like looking into their like sustainability, sustainability like metrics and how they were comparing to that. And then they came on to um Adidas. And Adidas has got this campaign where you recycle your trainers and it's apparently over in the Maldives they've got um I don't know the ins and outs of it, but basically they've got some sort of campaign where all the recycled plastic from the beaches they put into making new trainers. And when this um this um like this host basically looked into it, it turns out that it wasn't, it was from the hotels in the Maldives. Anyway, it was very like convoluted and it turns out their whole campaign that they were advertising was kind of like a fraud basically. Um right. you can watch this documentary it's really really interesting and um yeah you're right like you say so many people claim to be really environmentally friendly or have really great like sustainability policies but like a prime example as soon as i watched the documentary i said oh okay well actually how many of them are one sticking to it and two like how kind of truthful is it or how much of an Mm. impact is it actually going to make because this one was yeah it didn't make any impact basically they didn't really stick to anything and it wasn't really what they kind of claimed it to be it was sort of a play in words and it wasn't quite what we expected it to be um and, and as we were so hear, yeah, nicole
1: nicole talks about this misinformation that you're you're kind of talking about there
2: mm, so yeah no really interesting i'm pleased to hear about this one i like, say it's kind of fresh on my mind so it sounds very interesting but um yeah imagine that they're not the only company to do it i'm sure loads of people sort of blag it and Try to make out they're doing a lot more than what they are
1: yeah well one that we are pretty confident or not is the good goal uh we'll hand over to nicole and we will be back next week so today i'm joined by nicole uh all the way from sunny but cold madrid is it sunny Uh, you said it's cold
3: (laughs) hello how are you yeah i'm in madrid it's a little bit windy cold here but all right still
1: (laughs) I've heard that it's a summer, sorry, it's a city of extremes where it's a very, very hot in summer and very, very cold in winter. Oh
3: yes, indeed, yeah, that
1: happens. <laughs> well look, anyway, that aside, British obsession with the weather, we'll, we'll park that for the moment, but um, you're here because you're the founder of The Good Goal. Before we go any further, um, as co-founder and CMO of The Good Goal, first of all, who are the business? And second of all, what do you do?
3: So we were we we go back in the middle of the pandemic in the first week of the lockdown. And we actually joined a, a, an international challenge launched by a company called Uxer School. And it was very interesting because the challenge was to solve kind of like the challenges and problems that we were going to face during the pandemic and after the pandemic. And it was very interesting to see people joining through the whole world and, and brainstorming solutions, right? And we didn't know each other. We started the the, the project like nine people, and eventually um, the three co-founders um, decided to to follow on with the with the project. Right, so that was a little bit of the start two years ago.
1: Specifically, sorry, what what is it that you are trying to do as a community then, as a, as a team of co-founders? Yeah. Obviously, they a little bit of the background, but, but today as it exists, what is the offer?
3: Yeah, so basically, um, what we perceived was that the society needs uh, this transition to... To sustainability, and, and people need to be encouraged, and, and people need to be blamed—not they don't need to be blamed—in terms of sustainability. And that's what we—that's what we saw in the investigation. And to solve it, this, what we have developed is a technological a gamified tool uh, that helps companies and people, but more focused on companies, improve their sustainable habits in an easy, accessible, and motivating way. And also, we we also integrate a positive impact, impact calculator, which is scientifically based. So, we actually calculate the CO2 water and waste savings. So, you mentioned
1: there a calculator.
3: Yeah.
1: What, what, does, what does it look like if a business is using it? I mean, if I look on, on LinkedIn, it talks about an application. What, what does the tool set look like? How does a business practically use it to help them on that journey
3: all right actually this is something that we we define as our added value our user experience and and the customer experience because um we made it really easy to understand. It's very intuitive, and basically, what you get whenever you you contact us and you get the service, let's say we are already in the app, um, the company and the employees would get a personalized code in order to enter to their personalized atmosphere or or. or it, Or space, okay. You have a first uh, questionnaire in order to identify the environmental involvement of the individual, of the user, the actual environmental involvement within a certain level. It can be amateur, intermediate, or master. Um, And with that, you get a punctuation. and basically, you need you get a personalized challenge uh, based on that questionnaire uh, with a with a challenge with actions on daily basis, weekly basis, and monthly basis. And you need to get to register your sustainable habits every day. And from there, we go to the positive impact calculator, which is what you're asking. And it's basically another another uh, space in the application where you can actually see in real time the amount of CO2, water, litres of water and kilograms of waste that you have saved from clicking those actions and those sustainable habits from before.
1: How have you come to those particular measurables? Why is it that, this might sound really stupid, but obviously we know that, that water and kind of good use of water is important. But when you're talking to a business, kind of going, right, this is the metric. These are the metrics you need to be thinking about. These are the metrics we're going to measure. How do you know where to focus? How, how you know, who's decided that these are the particular metrics that will make a, a real tangible difference when it comes to sustainability in the environment?
3: So, when we were doing the investigation, we were like, okay, wh- how can we divide um, in, in different verticals the logic of the app and the, and the flow of the app? And we did uh, our own introspection of our own daily habits and which were the different verticals that our habits were divided in. And that's what we concluded, that we're divided in, in waste, how we manage our waste, in consumption, and also in transport. So we identified those three verticals. And inside those three verticals, we have loads of actions. And the metrics that we came up with were the CO2, um, the waste, the kilograms of waste, and the liters of water. Actually, it was it was more the conclusion of our own individual investigation that we did, and we came up to with that conclusion. And also, then comparing it to other metrics and, uh, and other things that were happening in the market, we came to the conclusion that that was a, those the best three metrics and the best three verticals to focus.
1: So. Why does this matter to you as an individual? Like if I look at your profile, yeah. It, it's not like you necessarily studied environmental impact. You did a BA in, in business administration. Um yeah, you've been through um a change makers lab, but it was it was arts and it was sciences. What what made you go, you know what? This this is the area that I want to focus my professional attention to.
3: So actually i love this question and i connect a lot to 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 what it is the purpose of the good goal right and and in in my case i started to be conscious about sustainability when i when i saw this challenge and i said i need to do something about it so there is a dichotomy in between the consciousness and the and the implication the individual consciousness and the individual implication and where where we find um what it actually happened to me. I was conscious about the environment, but I wasn't taking action, like active action, um, on trying to improve something regarding environmental sustainability. And something triggered inside me and I said, okay, we need to do this, we need to make bring it forward and make it real, right? And but yeah, I I can openly say that I was only conscious about sustainability issues. Um, but when I came to action, was was when I really stopped and thought about okay, maybe if I want to focus, I I want to do business and I want to do entrepreneur. Let me create a solution to a problem that we are facing right now. It could actually be in uh, health or it could have been another like education or so on. But it was sustainability because for me, that was a very interesting thing. Right. And that's where it all started. And that's what we are also trying to do with a good call. Try to click the mind of other people, which is the same that happened to us. Um so that they can start involving themselves actively speaking uh, in terms of sustainability.
1: Look, sustainability is obviously very high on people's um agendas right now, especially organizations. But a couple of weeks ago we were both in Lisbon for Web Summit. Web Summit is a a conference where there's a huge amount of investment floating around and a lot of side events that go off the back of that with regards to uh financing of startups. A lot of the chatter there was around things like web3 rather than necessarily sustainability. How do you think your message is landing with the investment community? Uh, whilst they might agree that it's important, are they backing it financially?
3: So, um, actually there is an investment tendency now and and speaking to us, our investors about they they are all talking about impact investment, all right? Um, it's a very interesting concept indeed. Um, investors, at least from the background in Spain and from what I know in, in 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 the Spanish investment ecosystem, there is a lot of the investors that are transitioning their investments into a more social impact or environmental impact projects or startups. Um, a lot of them are focused on hardware and many others are also focused on, on on software, no? What I'm sensing here is that a lot of the investors are asking for real impact metrics and a lot of traction, right? And that's a little bit of, of what is happening. There is a lot of initiatives going around. Uh, there is a lot of... Um, monotomy in the sustainability world, so everybody is sustainable now, and I think that they are also facing this challenge of filtering which um, which startup to invest and which one not, you know, so I think there is a little bit of misunderstanding and misinformation on, on the proper invest, investor on, okay, should I invest in this startup or in this other one? Should I invest in this startup because this is traction-oriented in terms of economically speaking, or am I going to focus more on real impact measurements, you know? Um, So, yeah.
1: I suppose then that leads you down the path of building an organisation which is B2B rather than B2C because it is easier to define that impact.
3: Yeah, I mean, and also because the focus right now um, are companies. Companies are being obliged to to show results and to prove that they are doing things in a certain way and to prove some metrics and those metrics need to be calculated and for those metrics to be calculated there needs to be uh, a technological infrastructure for those calculations right there's a lot of initiatives that are being implemented um, in 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 the sec- in the sector of production or logistics Or in the management, electricity management of the building, and so on. Um, And there's a lot of a lot of solutions there. What we are focusing more, it's it's on the individuals, right, on the uh, people's impact, their own impact in within the company. Which are those things that they can improve, and which are those things that they are 100% responsible of. In order for the employees to be aligned with those. Strategies and values uh, from the company, no, in a more global vision. So, yeah.
1: So. You mentioned the word global there. You are based in Spain. Um, we've spoken a little bit about the investment community that you found kind of locally, but I suppose one of the beauties of this is it's quite scalable because this is a universal concern. However, each country is going to have different targets. Europe is going to have uh, different ways of of holding organisations to account, say, to say the UK or to say the US. If this is going to work if 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 we are going to see genuine um behavioral change by organizations how does this how does this all join up how does this work with companies like yours and governments and investment and cross-border to actually see real change
3: that's a good question and actually in spain we are also sensing that it's not our first proper potential market and and that's why we are also thinking and we are implementing some strategies to to tackle Europe and, and some Western and Northern European countries. Um, regarding the alliances between startups like ours or instit- public institutions, education and, and private companies and so on, there needs a little bit of adaptability in that sense, um, For example, what we are uh, living is that negotiating with a big corporate, we've been nine months renegotiating with a big corporate. Like, we cannot be nine months preparing a deal, you know. Uh, Startup mindset goes much faster. So I think there needs an adaptability, and we need to get to know each other a little bit better. And startups are not the ones that always need to adapt but also the tr- traditional ecosystem needs to adapt as well to the new era and to the future re- generations that are a lot based on speed and going fast and uh, piloting and so on, right? And that's what we are sensing. When that happens, when when those public institutions and big cor- corporates have the infrastructure good enough in order to adapt, implement, pilot, and, and try different things without having to go through a bureaucratic process and super, like, really long processes, then collaborations will burn naturally and organically in a more nice way.
1: Look, you are one part of a of a three-person founding team. Yes. And all three of you are women, which still, unfortunately, in the tech sector across Europe is... A rarity rather than the norm mm-hmm. um, with regards to growing your startup up to getting and gaining traction with organizations and with accessing finance, what do you think the all female dynamic brings that is a is an advantage perhaps
3: mm-hmm.
1: in the marketplace that that is perhaps overlooked and perhaps would say? This is why we need to see more all-female founding teams.
3: Mm, all right. So here, here I can say many things. Um, of course, first of all, it is an honor to be part of a three-women founder team. Um, it's something that it came naturally. Actually, in the very first beginning, we were nine people and we were 50-50 uh, men and women. And eventually, we went with the project three three women, no? Nerea, Nadia, and myself, Nicole. Um, we have perceived that in the entrepreneurial and investment ecosystem, at least in Spain, there are many things going uh, towards women empowerment and women founders empowerment and investment only focused on startups that have been co-founded by, by women and so on, right? Um I mean, this is great that happens uh, because that way we are empowering women to become founders and not having an stopper. Uh, We have also received a public loan from the Spanish government that will help us finance our next year, most part of our next year. And it was because we were three women founders. And we, we generally see the ecosystem that are, are helping uh, women founders to, to move forward and so on. Regarding the venture capital and private equity and, and business angels and so on, I'm not sure whether it's a stopper uh, or it has been a stopper for us or not uh, because, of course, you never know the answer. I would never know if for being a woman it has been a stopper for us not to close the deals or not to close the round and so on you know mm, in some occasions I have even thought okay maybe if we were um, maybe if there was a man in the in the founder team it would have been different you know it's not it's not something I stop to think about because the reality is that we are three really professional women founders and this is also something that we tell really proudly and that people actually sense and and, and they trust us. So in this sense, in our case, it hasn't been stopper.
1: I want to thank you for your time. If someone is, is sitting there in their business and they're thinking, hang on a minute, we need to get a handle on metrics, we need to measure what's going on with regards to our, our impact on the environment. Uh, and they're thinking, hang on a minute, possibly um, the goal is, is, is the right path for us. How would they get in touch?
0: Well, um,
3: we launched our website in English a few months ago. So right now there is no language barrier. (laughs) You can go to our website and and there you have the contacting email or else you can write to hello at thegoodgolab.com and there you can find us.
1: Thank you very much for your time, Nicole.
3: Thank you so much, Dave.